But I believe that Israel has a powerful stranglehold on the American government. They control both members of the House, the House and the Senate. They have us involved in wars of which we have little or no interest. Our children are coming back in body bags. Our nation is bankrupt over these wars. And if you open your mouth, you get targeted. And if they don't beat you at the poll, they'll put you in prison. Explain to me what you see as, you know, why you target or why you have a grudge against the Israelis. The grudge is not necessarily a grudge. It's an objective assessment that no one will have the courage to speak about. They're controlling much of our foreign policy. They're influencing much of our domestic policy. Wolfowitz is undersecretary of defense, manipulated President Bush number two back into Iraq. They pushed definitely, definitely to try and get Bush before he left to move into Iran. We're conducting expansionist policy of Israel, and everybody's afraid to say it. They control much of the media, they control much of the commerce of the country, and they control powerfully both bodies of the Congress. They own the Congress. Are you an anti-Semite? No, I'm not. That's exactly what they're going to say, and I expect that. What I am is an American. You see, I think America comes first, and we have a one-sided foreign policy in the Mideast, and we've alienated Arabs who have no way of fighting. So what they've done, and I predicted this on the House floor, is they would export violence to America, and they have. They have no other way to fight. I think President Obama knows this. I think he sees this. I think he wants to do something. I think his hands are tied. And I think he's dancing between the raindrops trying to figure how I can politically machinate some scenario to mitigate these problems. Greta, I'm saying this. America is in danger if America doesn't take back the government without foreign inference, interference. That is Congressman James Traficant. He uh, died in a tractor accident, September 27, 2014, uh, shortly after that interview. And seeing as I'm suspended from YouTube, I can tell you, I can play that clip and actually tell you what I think about it. Because <laughs> I wouldn't feel safe to do so over on YouTube, that's for sure. Uh, I think he's telling the truth, okay? I think he's telling the truth. And as he said, no, it doesn't make him or I or anyone else that just sees the reality for what it is an anti-Semite. What it makes you is someone who's actually paying attention to what's actually happening and who's manipulating our political strings. And as he pointed out, it was Undersecretary Wolfowitz that did, in fact, play a huge role in getting the war on terror started. Uh, that's not about him being Jewish. It's about it being for Israeli interests as opposed to American interests. And I'm going to stop with all of the disclaimers and just talk about this because I think it's ridiculous that I have to disclaim everything and just say any foreign country that has that level of control over your political establishment is not benign. It's a bad thing. Do you want to have politicians who listen to other nations above your own interests as someone who's actually paying taxes to this government? Well, the answer ought to be, obviously, fuck no. That's not what I want. So, Mr. Trafficant, uh, who, I don't know if it's Trafficanti, but I think it's Trafficant, uh, who was imprisoned and then uh, died in a uh, unceremonious fashion in 2014, I think he was probably telling the truth. 
and I'll leave it to you to decide if he died of natural causes or of that tractor accident. Uh, <laughs> but there's a lot of danger that comes with speaking out about this stuff, unfortunately. And let me be very clear, not at all suicidal, just went to the doctor, perfect bill of health. So yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, I am disturbed at the extent of foreign influence on our government. I don't like our government in the first place, but I really don't like the government when it works at the behest of foreigners. Because I'm the one that's paying these motherfuckers to go and start wars on behalf of Israel. That doesn't seem very fair now, does it? Not to mention, it then creates blowback against the American people because we're over there doing the bidding of a nation that isn't ours. And as he said, we're alienating the entire Arab world and the Muslim world. Upwards of 30% of the global population doesn't like America because of who we are in bed with. And in reality, I think who largely runs our government. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me that that's somehow hateful of Jewish people, which by the way, I love Jewish people. <laughs> like all of my influence are Jewish, like almost all of them. So yeah, that ain't it. That, that shouldn't be, you shouldn't, you shouldn't fear speaking out uh, against foreign influence based off of the religion of the people that are influencing your government. That would be actually racist because then you're actually thinking that they are somehow untouchables or either above or beneath you. Either way, it seems kind of racist and ridiculous to me. So I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to tell you the truth. I think it's fucked up. I think it'd be just as fucked up if the CCP, which they certainly have some influence into our politicians as well. I don't like that. I want to have a small government so that the influence is irrelevant, in which case I don't give a fuck what these people have to say, but because I'm being robbed to the tune of $6 trillion annually across the American economy, I would very much like there not to be foreign influence in our political establishment. And there currently is, and no one talks about it because they all realize it's the end of their political career. If they do, if not their lives or their freedom, it's crazy and no one speaks about it and that's fucked up. So I'm gonna, cause I'm not on YouTube and I'm allowed to. <laughs> Today's episode of Liberty Lockdown is brought to you by Nado Shave Co. NadeauShaveCo.com. Minimize ingrown hairs, razor burn, and irritation with their 100% recyclable, plastic-free, stainless steel razor. Single blade. It's a bad motherfucker. I'm just going to tell you how it is. Veteran-owned, family-operated. Use promo code LOCKDOWN to get 15% off. It is a single blade, so it's not, it's not what you're accustomed to. I promise you that. If you've been using those triple or quad blades, this is a totally different experience. But you get to replace the blade far more often. They actually deliver you a, a ton. In my case, I got 100 of these single-blade razors. Uh, so you can actually replace them after a couple of shaves, get a fresh shave every time. It's a bad, it's a bad bitch. It is. Enjoy your shave. Stop giving your money to these woke bullshit corporations like Gillette and give your money to a company that supports programs that value liberty just like you. 
NadeauShaveCo.com. That's N-A-D-E-A-U Shaveco.com. Promo code LOCKDOWN for 15% off. Christmas is just around the corner. Get you one and get your family, maybe your dad, get your dad one today. Phoenix Ammunition is the premier supplier to the militia industrial complex with 100% of their sales going directly to American citizens. That means no military contracts, no law enforcement deals, simply the highest quality American-made ammunition served directly to the people the Second Amendment was written for that's you motherfucker phoenix ammo uses the highest quality components parts and the most advanced quality control system in the country to, to deliver exactly what you expect while at the range or when your life is on the line and performance matters above all else phoenix ammunition is the trusted supplier for top level competitive shooters they ship direct to you with no middlemen or distributors just the best quality ammo made by american workers in detroit michigan head to www.phoenixammo.com that's phoenixammo.com Subscribe to their propaganda newsletter and follow them on Twitter at Phoenix Ammunition. It's one of my favorite Twitter follows for the latest in product updates, high quality trolling, small L libertarian commentary, and world-class meme warfare. Save up to 25% off all day, every day with their automatic volume-based discounts. Come for the ammo, stay for the memes. That's phoenixammo.com. Get all of your ammo from this company. I am telling you, they are the best in the business, and he is a savage. I fucking love this guy. I love this company, and I love you, so I want you to have the best ammo in the game. That's phoenixammo.com, F-E-N-I-X-A-M-M-O.com. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in once again. I unfortunately received a strike on my YouTube channel, uh, just today, earlier this morning. And it is for my QAnon Shaman, AKA Jacob Chansley interview that I did three months ago. The segment that they told me uh, endorsed violence was in fact not at all that. Uh, I did appeal and within, I'd say 60 seconds of my appeal, they responded instantaneously saying, no, we've already reviewed thoroughly and you have absolutely endorsed violence, which I did not do absolutely did not do we if you guys recall i know it was three months ago so you may not remember but we ended that with like a five minute guided meditation by the shaman that's you know that's really endorsing violence there i guess um so i'm very frustrated but thank goodness for rumble thank goodness for twitter aka x uh and uh, i'll just continue to encourage you guys you know subscribe over on rumble spread the word share it with people i have 30 days that i cannot publish to youtube Nothing I can do about it, um, but that's the deal. So let's get into it. Uh, Thomas Massey today said that if, if it weren't for Edward Snowden, the surveillance apparatus that is being used by the federal government against the American people would not have been known to him or any members, or as far as he knows, any members of Congress or the Senate. The implications of this are vast, and I think that it's worth exploring a little bit. Um, Essentially, what he's saying is that the surveillance that was disclosed by Snowden under the TSA, excuse me, NSA, uh, it's not it's not greenlit. It's not a program that you know the vast majority of congressional members were privy to. I would imagine that some of the higher ups are aware, but I I'll take him at his word that the vast majority of the congressional representatives had no clue. So what does that mean? Well, it means quite clearly that the people that, that rule over us are not our elected officials. And some of you are probably saying, duh, obviously not. 
but I think that's worth really demonstrating, like proving our thesis that it is not the president or the Congress members or the senators that are actually dictating what happens from or within our government or to us by our government. And the, the ramifications of that are pretty profound. You can't vote these people out. You can't. There's nothing you can do. Uh, and when you feel as if there's nothing you can do, well, we know what comes next. And that's usually violence, which I think anybody in my camp does not want to see as people who are broadly peaceful, uh, but we also do not want to be treated like slaves. And if you can't replace your rulers because the people that are actually making these decisions are not elected, well, then what do you do? And I think that the other aspect of this that's worth exploring is that if if these programs are essentially rolling out without congressional approval, there is there is one way to stop them. It's the purse. Congressional members have the ability to withdraw funding, withhold funding, and cancel these entire departments that they have created. Because all of these departments did come through some sort of congressional authorization. What they have morphed into and become is something far outside the purview of what was initially intended, as is the case with all government programs. They expand upon themselves. Scott Horton refers to this as the self-licking ice cream cone, the military industrial complex, the surveillance apparatus, all of it just grows upon itself. Once you have started the snowball, it snowballs, as snowballs are known to do. So what we really need, and this is asking a hell of a lot, but we need 50 or 75 Thomas Massey level characters that are willing to actually put their foot down and say, we are going to withhold funding from your department until you get in line, until you end these unconstitutional practices. The alternative is to rely on the Supreme Court, which, as we've seen, gets it right sometimes, and sometimes they don't. And also sometimes they won't even hear a case that is really important to the American people. So I don't view that as, I mean, that's supposed to be the fail safe, but that doesn't seem like much of one. And then you have the outside chance of getting a whole bunch of people that have our worldview that actually value the Constitution into Congress to withhold funding to get these agencies either in line or to abolish them entirely. That's also pretty far-fetched because we have one Thomas Massey. And if we need 40 or 50 or 75 of, them, of him, uh, probably not going to happen. So what are we left with? Well, we're left with personal responsibility and it's not a popular thing to talk about. It's, uh, it's fairly obvious when you think about it. Um, but I think it becomes more and more pertinent by the day in that we're going to have to take control of our own lives more and more and more. And that's in part because the government is unreformable to a large extent. And it's also because the financial path that they're on is self-destructive anyways. So we're going to have this opportunity to rebuild from the ashes, whether we want to or not. So might as well get a jump on it is kind of how I view things. Like if you know what's coming and you know what kind of opportunities might arise in that period, well, then why not just hop to it now? And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about tonight is that I think that in any crash, in any economic upheaval, there's tremendous opportunity. And especially with the death of 
you know, the U.S. dollar, the global hegemon fiat currency reserve uh, of the world, there's going to be a lot of dislocation economically. And in that dislocation, there's going to be opportunity. You can either play that on the downside by putting, uh, you know, put options where you think that you can actually bet against whatever stock or basket of stocks you'd like to. Uh, if you get the timing right, you can make a boatload on that. The alternative is to uh, migrate away from the U.S. dollar in, into something like Bitcoin or precious metals, whatever you think will will weather the storm best as inflation takes hold. I'm still fairly convinced that we're we're facing a banking crisis in the not too distant future, and I haven't talked about this in a while, so I'll explain briefly why. Over the past. I mean, over the past 15 years, but particularly over the past three since the COVID era, they they maintained interest rates at the zero bound far, far longer than they should have. Um, and the consequences of this were that the banking institutions who had this influx of cash through the COVID bailouts, all of the depositors, they, they started to get these government checks. They started to just throw them into the bank. The bank then has a tremendous cash reserves. And, and what do they do with them? Well, the regulators change the policies from cash on hand. So what the regulators do is they have liquidity requirements where they say, okay, based off of the amount of debt you have versus depositors, this is, you know, how much you're able to essentially, you know, capably service your depositors without, you know, running afoul of liquidity requirements. The, the problem is that the regulators changed the guidelines for the banks and they made it so that long-term debt instruments like T-bills, bonds, uh, corporate bonds, all these longer-term debt instruments that you're able to invest in. They took their depositor capital, these excess reserves that they were sitting on, and they, they invested them in that because the regulators told them that this is as good as cash. If you invest in long-term debt instruments, we're going we're gonna, to in our own back-end accounting where we're actually auditing you, we're going to say that's as good as cash. So you're you're just as liquid. So if you're actually sitting on a billion dollars or you've invested a billion dollars into T-bills, it's just as good as cash. Here's the problem. They held the interest rates at the zero bound for so long and the vast majority of people just got to this point of just believing that it was never gonna change, which is obviously ridiculous. Um, but that's what a lot of people thought. They just kept saying, oh, we're going negative. They thought, they because you saw that in Europe, they're like, we're going to go negative. It's it's not even close to the bottom. Even though it was at zero, people kept saying, no, it's going to go negative one, negative two. I mean, it was, it was nuts. I mean, pure bull market psychosis as far as I'm concerned. But in that period, these guys invested billions and billions of dollars, tens, hundreds of billions of dollars of depositor capital into these long-term debt instruments. And what happens in a rising interest rate cycle from the zero bound up to four five percent at the fed funds rate well because of the opportunity cost of this capital and because of the uh the mark to market so basically if the if you buy at the bottom so if the if the rates are at zero or a quarter percent or half percent and you buy a long-term treasury bill at three percent well that's a fine investment if you're going to hold it to duration but the problem is you may need liquidity and you may not be able to hold it for 10 years. So when the current rate for a 10-year treasury bill is now over 5%, why in God's name would you purchase 
a treasury bill that's being held by one of these banks that has a face, you know, a print of 3% or 3.5%. You wouldn't. You'd, accept, you'd expect a huge markdown because at this point, instead of acquiring that that bond or that debt instrument from wh whoever else owns it already, you could just buy a new one, a brand new one at the current market rate, which is much higher. And obviously you're going to do that because it's secured by the same thing, secured by the federal government. So wouldn't you rather have 5.5% than 3.5%? Yes. Okay. So if you're going to take it off their hands at 3.5%, you're going to expect a, a, uh, a cut on the, the market value. This is where the mark to market terminology comes in. You have based off of the, the bailouts that happened after the, the banking crisis in early 2023, earlier this year, they, they created a, a lending vehicle, a special purpose lending vehicle from the treasury, the U S treasury, uh, in, I think it was in, in tandem with the federal reserve. I'm, I'm not sure exactly who ultimately funds it, but setting that aside, Essentially what it did was it allowed these banks to offload these treasuries that were underwater because the rates had risen. And now if they were to have to mark to market, that meant that their liquidity was toast. They did not have enough liquidity and they now realize that, oh, these long-term debt instruments are actually not as good as cash on hand. You understand? So they create these bailout vehicles where they're able to essentially sell these upside down bonds or, or offload them for liquidity for upwards of a year, but it's only a year and that year is almost up. So I'm of the opinion, given that interest rates have not come down, they've stayed basically where they, they were early, you know, mid middle of this year, uh, when the banking crisis was, was hot. Uh, I think that we're, we're likely to see that the balance sheets of these banks, many, many banks all across, not just the country, but the world are in fact upside down. And this is the important thing to understand is that UBS over the weekend, I think it was actually yesterday I read this, UBS, which is one of the, the biggest money managers in Europe, uh, appears to be on the brink of insolvency. We don't know for sure yet, this is early reports, so you know, take it with a grain of salt. But uh, if they are, this is what I've been talking about for a few years now that uh, very likely to see a contagion across the banking industry globally, uh, particularly if the the lending vehicle, if the rollover of the 12 month for the bailouts, if that if that doesn't get rolled over again or expanded, because I think you're going to you're going to have more and more banking institutions as they realize that the derivative contracts that are held counterparty with UBS and these other institutions that are all upside down. Well, that means that liquidity becomes a real issue. And if you have a whole book filled with treasuries that are also upside down and you need liquidity and you have to sell those off, well, then you're going to go to that, that special treasury lending vehicle to try and offload uh, at the original face value as opposed to the current one where you're upside down. What that means is that we're going to have a lot of bailouts, probably, and hopefully the American people will push back and demand that that not be the case. But given that it's banking institutions and it's depositor capital, you're going to have a lot of people with their hands held out saying, well, I just deposited my money in that bank. Of course you have to bail them out. It's bailing me out too. So this is, this is the, uh, the crisis that is I mean, entirely created by federal reserve policy, but it, uh, 
it creates a moral hazard where you have a bunch of people that are all going to be looking out for their be- their their best interests, you know, to the detriment of all of us that have been prudent and have not deposited with these shitty lending institutions or these shitty banks. Uh, but now it's democratic rule and the the mob will get their way. And even if the the people don't want it, as I discussed in the beginning of this episode, there is an unelected you know, bureaucracy that really runs this country. And many of them are within the banking institutions, or at least the banking institution is, is hand in hand with these people. So I'd be very surprised if I'm right, that there is a banking crisis that's around the corner by around the corner. I mean, in the next 12 months, um, I'd be very surprised if there aren't bailouts that are pushed very aggressively and likely passed, uh, particularly in an election year. I think that it's, you know, all the congressional members aren't going to want to go into the election process with, uh, you know, a, a massive banking crisis out there. And they'll, once again, they'll say too big to fail, or they probably won't use that exact termino- terminology, but they'll say something to the effect of, you know, we have to do, you know, it's not good. We're not happy about it, but we have, we had to intervene to, to protect the people. That's what, that's how they'll frame it. Uh, I'm sure many in, in the Republican party won't vote for it, but I, I imagine every Democrat will and enough Republicans will to get it passed. So I'm doing a lot of, I'm doing a lot of, uh, forward looking, you know, theorizing here. So I can't say definitively, this is what's going to happen, but this, this is my expectation based off of, you know, my, uh, experiences going through past banking crises and 08 was the big one, but we've had some minor ones, not, not even a year ago. And we saw what they did. They immediately created a bailout fund. So. I think that it, it could be a, a very, very large one. Um, the problem is that we're still dealing with inflation. And if they create bailouts and they just flood the, flood the zone with fiat again, well, then the inflationary pressure is going to increase again. And that's not good. But on the inverse of that, if they don't intervene heavily and they don't bail out the banking institutions, then you get a banking contagion where liquidity dries up, lending dries up, and ultimately the economy dries up and you start to see a, a very, very steep recession, if not a depression. I don't expect them to allow that to happen, uh, but I'd be a fool not to consider it as a possibility. And it's important that you be aware that it can go either direction. And I know this is kind of complicated, so feel free to leave a comment down below asking any follow-up questions, but those, that's kind of my expectation for, for what we'll see. Um, we've already seen a, a litany of banks in the U.S. have real real issues, liquidity issues. Uh, we don't even know to the full extent, you know, how many there are because part of the the Treasury bailout lending vehicle was that they would not have to report who uses it because they don't want people to, you know, have runs on banks just because they accessed uh, this bailout fund, which is pretty fucked up because as a depositor in these institutions, I would like to be able to know who's having problems so I can get my capital out of there uh, ahead of time. But that's not how it works because we don't live in a free market. And I think that's important for people to understand too. We allegedly function under a free market capitalist system, but it is very, very far from the truth. Uh, And it's also alleged that we function under a democratic system, uh, which is also far from the truth because as Thomas Massey explained, there are surveillance systems that function completely outside of the purview of Congress. They aren't even, they aren't even aware of them. 
They may have funded the institutions that, that began those programs, but they didn't know that, that it was going on. I mean, you, you have to really internalize what that means. It means that you have, I mean, the deep state, as Donald Trump popularized, but many people have talked about it for a very long time, is not some conspiracy theory. It is extraordinarily real and a massive fucking problem. It is a massive fucking problem. It's probably the biggest problem we face next to the national debt. And I'm not sure how you deal with either of them because <laughs> we don't we don't have any capacity to change who's in power to actually deal with these issues. And all of the people that are in power today have no real imperative or incentive even to do the right thing because it would be political suicide to go about it unless there is such public popular will and demand for these actions that they would then opt to. And as of now, I mean, even in my community, I think maybe half of people understand, you know, everything I just said over the past 20 minutes and, and what it all means and how dangerous it all is. I don't think, I don't think the vast majority of Americans, I'd say 90 plus percent have any real semblance of an understanding as to how perilous the financial condition of the United States and the global economy is. Uh, I don't think that they understand that, that the debt pyramid that we have lived on and under for my entire life now, how close it is to the end, how, how once you get to these levels of inflation and uh, uh, hiking of interest rates to try and alleviate it and it's not really doing it, that means that you end up monetizing the debt most likely, which means that you're fucking Venezuela, you're Argentina, you're Weimar. I mean, I don't think we're, I mean, I know we're not there yet because you would know it. I wouldn't have to warn you about it if we were already there yet, but I think that that is our future, unfortunately, and I'm not sure if it's avoidable. So my two cents, if the banking uh, liquidity crisis is, is real, if I'm right about my prognosis for that, that means that you will see lending dry up. You will ultimately see bailouts. But in the interim, I think you will see a, a period of significantly softening real estate prices. We've already seen that over the past six months. Uh, many markets are down 5 10%. And I think that that will continue. And I think it might even increase in pace for a time, particularly if we, if we actually have, uh, you know, banking big bankruptcies, in which case you will have a, uh, a period of, you know, real deflationary pressure that, that is broadly felt across the economy. And that's, that's healthy. That's what we need. That's what we ought to advocate on behalf of, even though it's catastrophic to people that own only one home and they thought that they had a quarter million in equity. Well, okay, now they have 150 in equity. I mean, it sucks for them, but like if you if you continue to maintain this bubble at these heights, record high real estate prices, also with you know record high interest rates over the past 15, 20 years, uh, that's not a good combination for keeping a functioning society because then you have young people that are iced out of the housing market and they feel as if there's no potential entryway for them. And that, that's where you get real civil strife where you you feel as if the economic system is so broken and ultimately you have no hope for you and your family well then you either give up or you become radicalized or you become you know those communists that are blocking bridges in new york and shit like that 
Uh, and I think that's a distinct possibility. So it, I would encourage people to kind of eat your vegetables and, you know, encourage the government to do the right thing. They'll probably won't listen to us anyways, but I think it's our job to be the adults in the room and say, we've all lived beyond our means. We've all lived off of debt. I mean, maybe not all of us have in reality, but, you know, just speaking in the macro, that's what our civilization has been built on for far too long. And it's simply not sustainable. So on the, on the inverse of this opportunities for you guys, if you've been waiting to buy a house, well, Bob's your uncle. You got, you got a real opportunity coming up. I think, uh, Bitcoin it's once again in a bull market, because I think a lot of people are, are predicting or, or thinking about what I've just explained to you over the past you know 20 minutes or so. Uh, and I think that it's catching a bid because one, a lot of people are concerned about what happens when that happens. And if the, if the bailouts be, you know, come in and the tune of trillions of dollars, well, then the U S dollar is in real, real existential trouble. In which case all hard assets, including Bitcoin will skyrocket. So if you don't own any, I would look into that. I'm not, this is not financial advice. I would just, you know, encourage you to, to keep your eyes open for opportunities in hard assets, uh, to hedge against a potential serious inflationary period. On the inverse of that, cash is king in deflationary moments. And if there is a banking crisis, even if they intervene to bail out, I think that there will be uh, depressed assets that will be viable for you. And and if you don't have cash to be a, a player in that period, you will absolutely regret it. So those are the two kind of hedges both ways. And beyond that, I think you just have to look out for you know your family, get invest in self-defense tools, uh, you know, farming, things like that. Uh, but kind of batten down the hatches, cut any extra expenditures you don't need to. I really do feel as if there's a potential that we're going into kind of an economic winter in the not too distant future. And it hasn't been a good economy already. So if I'm right, it's going to be pretty ugly. And, and that is not good news. So I just wanted to give a warning. Uh, obviously the, they could kick the can again. They can delay the day of reckoning potentially by doing smaller bailouts here and there. They already did that in January of this year, which kind of de delayed the day of reckoning there. They could do it again. If it's, if it's not too uh, widespread, they could just kind of patch it here and there. But eventually the Titanic is the, uh, the hull will not be repairable. So you have to, you have to prepare without knowing the exact timeline, but knowing the ultimate outcome, if that makes sense. Uh, and I think that most of you are privy to what I'm talking about and, and you are preparing or you have been preparing and, and that's good. Uh, the way I look at this is because so few people understand what we're talking about right now, you ultimately have a competitive advantage over probably 95% of the people that you'll pass on a street as you walk to work. Like no one knows what the fuck we're talking about right now. Hardly anybody. And, and they certainly don't know how to weather it. They don't know. They won't know why it's happening. They, they won't know what opportunities are presented to them in those times. And they aren't preparing because they have no fucking clue that it's coming. So you have all of those advantages. Don't, don't sleep on it. Don't, uh, certainly don't give up all hope because <laughs> that's the worst thing you can do in a time of crisis is to just give up and throw your hands up and be like, ah, it's too hard. It's too hard. Well, yeah, life's hard, but you got to fucking find a way. And I, and I have faith that you guys can and will. So look at it as an opportunity. Like I said, if you've been, if you already own a house, 
maybe the market is is going to take a hit but that might give you an opportunity to get that rental property that you've had your eye on if you uh, own a bunch of houses already liquidating a handful of them in this period as opposed to a year from now could be advisable something to consider make sure that you have adequate liquidity. I'm not even advising that you necessarily sell off your entire portfolio, but certainly make sure that you have enough liquidity in if you have vacancies from tenants that you could actually service the debt on your properties. If you have a real estate portfolio with zero debt, God bless. You'll you'll weather this better than almost anybody. So congrats. I'm sure the vast majority of you out there are not in that position. Neither am I, for the record. I've, I've sold all my real estate holdings. So um, yeah. I mean, lots of things to think about, but I just wanted to kind of give a, a broad update. And on top of that, you know, we have the election year coming up and, and there's a potential for October surprise. There's a potential for World War Three. I mean, there's potential for a lot of craziness. And, and we're already dealing with a pretty divided nation, uh, a population that doesn't doesn't trust each other. We don't really look at each other as our as countrymen anymore. We look at each other, you know, askance. We we feel like everybody's out to get us, and in some regards, that's not even wrong. I mean, there there is some real divides in this country, uh, both ideologically and philosophically. So, I don't know, I don't know what it looks like in a in a period of of true economic tumult. Like, I don't know how, based off of like where we were at in twenty twenty in an economy that wasn't too screwed up, but then you had the lockdowns, which obviously screwed up ex very rapidly, uh, but we were already at each other's throat. If you have a real recession or hyperinflation with an increasing unemployment rate, forget it, man. I don't, I don't even know what people will do. It'll be totally crazy. And then add, add on top of that, the potential for some, I mean, if it's not even world war, but just another war with Iran or something crazy like that. I mean, there's just so many variables here. And and in the, the backdrop of that, you have this period where you have all of these government officials that were responsible for the COVID era in terms of creating it, funding it, hiding it, covering it up, creating protocols to, to deal with the pandemic that were absolutely catastrophic. And they knew, most of them knew, uh, you know, ahead of time or, or in real time. And they just lied through their fucking teeth. They told us the vaccine was safe. You know, it wasn't. It fucked up a whole bunch of people. You have all of these politicians that have, you know, that we have righteous anger towards that that should be paying a price in the next election. And they and they well, they ought to be paying price criminally, but they certainly ought to be paying a price in the next election. And what is their incentive? Their incentive is to essentially deflect all of their culpability for you know the lives that they destroyed over the past handful of years onto. Donald Trump being prosecuted or Donald Trump being removed from the ballot or a false flag to get us into a war or uh, some sort of false flag domestically where you have, you know, Trump supporters, scare quotes, that are responsible for some terrorist attack or some bullshit. My point is, you sh your head should definitely be on a swivel. <laughs> like, like the, the, next, the next 12 months, I mean, it's about 11 months now to the next election. It's going to be fucking crazy, folks. It's going to be fucking crazy. It has already been an incredibly, incredibly crazy three years that I've been doing this show. And I have very little doubt that the next 12 months are going to be even crazier. I mean, we had a fucking proxy war with a nuclear power on their border, the Russia-Ukraine war. That was, that was the past year and a half. Hundreds of thousands of fucking people died for no fucking good reason. And 
you know, all of the officials that lied to us about that, they also ought to be paying a price either criminally or at least electorally. And they also want to have a distraction. They also want you to not be able to hold them to account for all of the deception and all of the innocent lives that, that were unnecessarily lost because they pushed that war. These, these people are blood soaked monsters, like no exaggeration, no hyperbole. They are fucking blood soaked monsters. I guess it's, I guess it is. Well, it's not exaggeration, but it is an analogy because they're not actually literally soaked in blood, but they're figuratively blood soaked monsters. Um, and I just, I just really want, I know, you know, after saying all this, it sounds like, well, that's pretty depressing, Clint. Uh, are you sure? <laughs> you sure we should be hopeful? Um, I would encourage you to reframe what hope means to you. Hopeful should be, I mean, really, it, it ought to be predicated off of your own ability. It ought to be, it ought to be predicated off of what you think your life will be over the next year, two years, 10 years. Um, it shouldn't be really driven by what you expect the government to do. And I think that, that the sooner we can break that as uncomfortable it is, as it is, because it does kind of feel like giving up. You're like, ah, you know, this system is just not reformable, but at some point it's just the prudent analysis to make. It's like, it's not reformable. Like even the, the whole reason that the LP even runs a presidential candidate is not because we think that we're going to win and reform the system. It's that we want to wake up more people so that they can take over, you know, local political offices and they can also advise their friends and family on what we're talking about right now, which is to, to take more personal responsibility for your life, get out of debt, have liquid capital that you can invest in a time of crisis, have hard assets that can actually weather an inflationary period, advise your friends and family of the same. Like these are the things that we want to have a presidential candidate at the highest levels on the on the largest platforms just so that they can actually get this message to people. So it's not we have already essentially accepted the fact that the system is not reformable. And I know this is, you know, for those that are believing that, you know, Trump is going to ride in in his in his knight's armor on a big white stallion and save us all. Maybe Okay. <laughs> That's all I can give you. I doubt it. I'll just put it like that. Um, I don't th like my personal opinion is that I don't think that this guy, given what they've done to him already, a coup, I mean, a fucking coup, <laughs> they impeached him twice on shit that his opponents were guilty of Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden. They impeached him for that shit. They spied on him before he was even elected. They were spying on him for God's sakes. The FBI, forged the uh, the warrants to get the the uh, phone taps on his ass. So it's like you have, this is the unelected bureaucracy I'm talking about. The FBI, the people that even before he's in power, they're already laying out the steel dossier and all this other shit to try and sink his campaign. Then once he's in, they impeach him based off of lies that they created. I, I mean, or, or things that they're guilty of far more than he is. This is what you're up against. So, and then you have the questions about the election legitimacy in 2020. In which case, if you're a Trump supporter, you almost certainly feel that it was stolen from him. So what makes you think it's not going to be stolen in 24? So like, I'm not saying all of this to get you to not love Trump. Love him all you want. Not the point. The point is, even if he gets in there, why? Like, 
against all odds, and don't get it twisted, it is against all odds, despite the fact that he's winning in polls and everything else, it would be against all odds for him to go up against the media apparatus once again, and the political apparatus once again, and the deep state once again, and the election uh, interference once again, and he wins this time. And then he gets in there, and he says, I'm going to purge everything. And the deep state goes, "Mm mm-mm, nope. That's not actually within your purview, sir, Mr. President. He can try. I'll be rooting for him from the sidelines. But the point in saying all this is to try and encourage you, even if you are one of his most ardent supporters, do not wait for him to save you. Do not wait for anybody other than yourself to save you. You have the capacity. You have the capability. You don't need government assistance. Ultimately, the whole reason that we want to see someone in there is because we want to see the government purged. Most of us aren't even asking for government assistance. We're asking for the government to get the fuck out of the way. And to you that is listening right now and feels that way, God bless. You're my people, 100%. That's where I'm at too. The whole reason I talk about politics so much is because politics is all up in my fucking ass and I don't like it. And I want them out. I want them out of my arse, as Conor McGregor might say. But if they refuse, that's okay. That's okay. Because I am going to do everything in my power on the day-to-day basis to prepare myself, to improve myself, to create multiple streams of passive income, all these other things that you ought to be doing now and you should have been doing anyways. So take this as an opportunity to, to do it, to get on it. Realize that the time is short and that it's, it's no longer optional that you kind of wait for a political savior. And I think that's more or less the thesis of what I wanted to express to you tonight. So why does this all matter? It matters because we live in a time where the vast majority of people are poor, out of shape. And it's not just the people, it's the politicians. And I think that there is a, I don't know which leads which, I think generally speaking, it's the political class that kind of leads to the debauchery of the the citizens, but I think that it, it's a two-way street. It certainly, it, it feeds upon itself. And the reason I, I, I bring this up is like, you just think about like the end of other empires, right? We have these stories about people that would like vomitoriums where they would just go and they would eat and they would drink until they would throw up. And this was like just a thing that they would do because they were wealthy. They were just overflowing with riches because they had the empire. Late stage empire, life becomes increasingly debaucherous. And the way I view it is that instead of going along with that path, going, you know, being part of that crowd, once again, I would encourage you to view that as your competitive advantage. That the people that are trying to excel in whatever industry you're in, instead of actually taking the time to go to the gym one hour a day, four, four days a week to improve themselves physically, they'll start to take Ozempic. They'll start to take these, these new weight loss pills. And what that means, yeah, they may be able to lose weight more effortlessly, but what they, what they lack because of that is the character building exercise of self-discipline of the ability to to actually control your own desires and to improve yourself physically, even though your brain wants you to do something else, but you're, you're in control of your brain. And I think that that's, that will be the tale of this next decade 
is that those that are actually able to think for themselves, to have self-control, to have a, a capacity for self-improvement, a drive, a commitment, uh, just all of these these traits that usually built these great empires, you know, like the honorable aspects of an empire building in its in its ascension as opposed to its decline. And what I would like to see is, you know, people that that have our value set to outcompete these motherfuckers because they shouldn't be able to compete with us anyways. Most of them can't compete with us except for their government contracts. So I view this because we know what's coming in the not too distant future. Let's be that now. Let's be the leaders that build from the ashes. Let's be the people that that because of who we are and what we represent and our the way we look, our financial success, our families, our, our wives, our kids, the house we live in, people will actually listen to you if you're someone who has succeeded while most are failing. And we need as many people that are in that position as humanly possible when shit really hits the fan. We need a bunch of natural leaders that have already improved themselves to the highest level that are prepared to assist in the rebuilding process, whether that be through government or it be through, you know, just entrepreneurial endeavor. And I know, I know there's hundreds of you, if not thousands of you that are listening to this right now that are those people. And, you know, for my own self-interest, I want to encourage you to, you know, keep grinding, to stay on that path because it's hard to, it's hard to overstate how important some of you most of you, I think, will be in that process. That there are very there are very few times that empires fall. There haven't been that many empires, really. I mean, usually they they don't last as long as the American Empire has. But you know, we had the central bank, so <laughs> we've gone we've gone seventy five years, and we have been the global empire. What makes this a, a unique? inflection point is that there has never been an empire collapse with nuclear weapons in its possession or broadly held by seven or eight nations however many countries have them now and and i think that is that's what concerns me the most not to add another dark variable into this whole thought experiment but empires tend to lash out they tend to want to go to war to mask all of the domestic policies that have been abject failures because corruption and theft has become so pervasive and they're going to have that instinct again and it is incumbent upon the american people and particularly the people that are listening to this right now to deter our military members our service members from fighting these wars that are totally unnecessary totally unnecessary if we're not attacked it's unnecessary that's does it get any more simple than that and they would they would have you believe as you've heard nikki haley and desantis and these other people come out and joe biden uh you know come out in defense of israel basically framing it as if it's an attack on america a nation seven thousand miles away that should have no bearing on american life and they will try and frame that as an attack on you dear listener that's an absurdity and it needs to be called out very aggressively like you have to put your foot down no matter how you feel about the Jewish people or Israel, the nation, doesn't matter. 
You don't have to lead the American empire into its final gnashing blow in a pointless war that we had no, no real reason to be in. Financially, we can't do it. Okay. So even if you want to, I would encourage you not to support that endeavor. It would be catastrophic and it would only expedite the decline of America. If you are of the expediting uh, kind, if you're the burn it all down kind, I can understand why you might uh, want to see that happen. However, I will once again encourage you also not to endorse that type of decision-making because even if you want to see the empire fall, I can assure you, you don't want to see nuclear war. So for many, many reasons, we should all be in unison saying, absolutely not. We're not going to do that. Um, But I think that in the absence of all of this kind of cultural rot and, and lack of entrepreneurial spirit and self-control and, you know, financial sanity. Uh, I think that the, the current establishment, the, the Fauci's and the Biden's and the Clinton's of the world, they're going away. They're, they're not going to reign over us 15, 20 years from now. It, we will have, we will have hit the bottom and we will be doing something else. It's going to be up to us to decide what that something else is. And I hope that as shows like mine start to reach more and more people, that there will be more and more people out there that are politically engaged and intelligent and entrepreneurial that that will want to rebuild something beautiful. Because as far as I'm concerned, I'm still a tremendous fan of the foundation of this country. And I'm still a, a total believer in almost all of the foundational principles of this country. And even if we are to fall in terms of the U S dollar or we lose a war, but it's not, you know, so catastrophic, we can't rebuild. Like there will be brighter days. Like there is going to be an opportunity to build something beautiful. And, and I think that I want us to be those architects. I want us to, to have some level of say in what comes after. And I think, you know, it's kind of depressing to think that I'm kind of backing off of my belief in, in current political action and, and focusing on the future, you know, variant of it. But I think that's, that's really where the opportunity will be most abundant. There's still opportunity today and I'm not, I'm not trying to totally dismiss any of it. I'm just saying that the opportunity in the, in the destruction phase will be exponentially higher. And that is the period that you ought to be preparing for as aggressively as possible. Are you condemning Elon Musk? As I said, I condemn all anti-Semitism, right? It's not about any one particular personality. I condemn anti-Semitism in all its forms. He has a voice. He has a big platform, Prime Minister. Well, and as I said, I condemn anti-Semitism in all its forms. It, it, it doesn't matter whether you're Elon Musk or you're someone on the street who's shouting abuse at someone who happens to be walking past you. That's wrong in all its forms. Anti-Semitism in all its forms is completely and utterly wrong. And we have strong laws in place here to tackle racial hatred. People are inciting it. Some of the scenes we've seen have been unacceptable. And the police know that they should be using the full force of their powers to bring those people uh, to justice. That's what we've been very clear about. And that's what we will continue to do. And we've made sure that the Jewish community gets extra funding here to ensure their safety and security and we will continue to do that so you have the the media in the uk that is framing elon musk as an anti-semite even though he is not uh not at all surprising but 
what concerns me about this is that you have laws that are being passed based off of what I consider to be very psychotically overinflated claims of anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism has risen over the past couple months, primarily because of Israel's uh, invasion into Palestine. But uh, it doesn't change the fact that hate speech laws are fucking crazy. And no matter no matter what's being said, I promise you it is more dangerous to empower the government to curtail our speech rights uh, than whatever the words are that are being permitted under a free speech framework. So we have, and just to prove out my case as to why you ought to be concerned about this, this is the actual text of a bill in Ireland that the government is trying to pass. They've had riots recently after a, a Algerian migrant stabbed some kids uh, a few days ago. Conor McGregor has been speaking out on behalf of the Irish people, you know, questioning the immigration policies, and he is now also being investigated by the government there, claiming that he was endorsing violence and all sorts of craziness. So this is the actual uh, text of the law that they're trying to pass in Ireland, and, and don't think that this can't come here, despite our First Amendment. Offense of preparing or possessing material likely to incite violence or hatred against persons on account of their protected characteristics. Subject to subsection 2 and 3 in section 11, a person shall be guilty of an offense under this section if the person prepares or possesses material that is likely to incite violence or hatred against a person. Okay, so what, a, what prepares or possesses material that is likely to incite violence or hatred against a person? So I have a, a photo of someone that is mocking them, and I guess you could make an argument that that would encourage some crazy person to go commit violence against them. Like just these broad i mean it's so dangerous uh continuing a person or a group of persons on account of their protected characteristics or any of those characteristics with a view to the material being communicated to the public or a section of the public whether by himself or herself or another person and b prepares or possesses such material with intent to incite violence or hatred against such a person or group of persons on account of those characteristics or any of those characteristics or being reckless as to whether such violence or hatred is thereby incited so not you don't even have to be overtly inciting the violence but you could just be reckless as to whether such violence or hatred is thereby incited by your memes i mean i don't do i do i need to even explain to you how dangerous that precedent is and what's so infuriating about this is like if you know anything about you know world war 1 and 2 history and the propaganda that our government created just the most racist, like racist shit you can imagine. They create that. They propagandize us with actual racist propaganda in the cause of getting us on board with, I don't know, nuking Hiroshima. Totally legal. Totally legal for them to do that. You, dear listener, you hand out a flyer that, uh, I don't know questions the banking industry and they can go anti-semitism you're trying to endorse violence against jewish people and you're like what i'm just opposed to central banking i think that central banking is dangerous and what do they what do they say in response anti-semite and look it's really important that you see through this game okay like if you're a libertarian of any variety you already oppose central banking 
So by its very nature, because there is a, a larger percentage of Jewish people that are involved in central banking than there are in the general population in terms of percentages, they can make this claim that you oppose central banking because you don't like Jewish people. Think about how fucking dumb that is. But understand what this tool is, what this mechanism is. The people that are in these positions of power that literally rule over you, and I'm not talking about Jewish people, I'm talking about central motherfucking bankers, the people that have the capacity to, to decide how much money exists on earth. These people that decide where this money goes oftentimes too, and also the interest rate by which you can borrow it, which is actually the price of capital. These people that rule over you, they're the ones that are dictating these hate speech policies. They're the ones that are actually shaking hands with these scumbag politicians saying, hey, all you have to do to get them to, to not be able to advocate against the Federal Reserve is to label any sort of concerns about central banking as being anti-Semitic. Do you think that, do you think that the people that managed to create central banks in the dark of night, do you think the people that, that lied about how it came to pass, do you think the people that, that installed Woodrow Wilson as the president by putting Teddy Roosevelt on the ballot so that it was split three ways and that was the only way he could win. And, and then they used, uh, Woodrow Wilson's own psychotic, narcissistic tendencies to get him to sign off on not just central banking via the Federal Reserve Act, but also the income tax, but also the League of Nations. Come on. These people know what they're fucking doing, okay? And again, I'm not talking about Jewish people. Some of them may be Jewish. I don't even fucking know. Doesn't matter to me. I'm talking about people that have gamed the system to their benefit and to your detriment for fucking eons. Family, massive amounts of money and power. Family, like ancient family money. These people have gamed the system to their advantage forever. They, the reason I bring all this up is to explain to you, don't underestimate them. Under, understand the tools, the tricks that they use to get this type of shit passed. And this hate speech law stuff is just another trick. It's just another tool to ultimately abuse political dissidents, which if you're listening to this, you're them. You're the political dissidents that I'm talking about that they're trying to suppress with bullshit hate speech laws. Free speech does not have an exception for hate speech. I can say whatever the fuck I want, whenever I want to, as long as it's not actually a threat of violence. That's the, that's the whole limit as far as I'm concerned. If I say, I'm going to kill you. Well, yeah. Okay. Then that's, it's a signal that there's a, a follow on action that you ought to take seriously. But aside from that, if I want to say I hate X, whatever, I don't, I don't actually feel that way. But if I wanted to say it about any group of people, that's still permissible under the First Amendment. Do not buy this new wokeified version of our rights where there are certain protected classes. This entire, this entire framework is contrary to the foundation of our country. I just want to make that very fucking clear. We are allowed to hate things and even hate people for a litany of stupid fucking reasons. And we have the right to say that by God. Think about how crazy it is. That's what our founding document said.
You can hate whoever you want and you can say it out loud and you have the right to do so because God said so. That's fucking awesome. I'm not encouraging you to hate people based off of immutable characteristics. I think it's stupid, but you have the fucking right to do so. You have the fucking God-given right to hate people because of their skin color, if you so choose. <laughs> it's dumb, but you have that right. The government cannot interfere. And they're trying, they're trying desperately to find any way to make those laws in America. It's happening in Ireland right now. It's been happening in the UK for decades. They already have people that, that will go to your house and arrest you because of what you posted on Facebook. And I'm not talking about threatening politicians. I'm talking about benign shit, hateful shit. That's coming for all of us. So be aware and fight it. Fight it with everything you got. Because if you're not allowed to, to speak out, don't, don't buy their framing. What they're trying to do is get it so that you're too afraid to speak out. And if you have the audacity to speak out, they'll throw you in a fucking jail cell. They'll put you, your human body behind bars because of something you put on Twitter or Instagram. Think about how fucking nuts that is. It's crazy. But this is the framing. This is, this is how they try and, oh, you're not a bad person, right? You're not racist. You're not anti-Semitic. So of course you're on board with this. Fuck that. Fuck that. Do not fall for it. I hope you guys are, are totally eyes open on this thing. That's the game plan. They're trying to crush political dissidents. It has nothing to do with protecting black people or Jewish people or any minority class or any of this protected class shit. It has nothing to do with any of that. It's about defending their power structure, how they actually rule over you. That's all it is. That's all it's ever been. That's all it ever will be. They don't give a fuck about protecting you or your feelings. That's children bullshit. It's childish. You're better than that. This is from msn.com. It says employers are fed up with college waste. Here's who they're hiring instead. Recent survey data indicates that employers are placing less value on college degrees, leading to a renewed appreciation for blue collar job seekers with skills and experience. The study involving 70,000 small businesses revealed that 67% of employers believe higher education institutions are not graduating students with relevant skills needed in today's business community. That's two thirds of all hiring of all small businesses that are hiring. That's crazy. The sentiment was echoed by some participants who expressed dissatisfaction with the talent produced by high schools and colleges. Furthermore, the survey found that over 40% of employers are less likely to hire a job seeker with a four year degree. That means basically half, almost half of employers are less likely to hire you if you have a four year degree. Wow. <laughs> This doesn't surprise me at all, said the construction worker turned author Ken Rusk. Colleges used to be a place where you would get a degree and that would only enhance an effective human being, an already effective human being, continued the author of Blue Collar Cash. Now we're seeing colleges attach these degrees to people that literally can't come out and do some of the life, skill, life skills that we need. The shift away from requiring college degrees has been observed in major companies and the rising cost of higher education has sparked discussions about student loan debt and government relief. They've graduated, they've graduated, oh, they've graduates kind of been hoodwinked a little bit to think that the degree is the thing that's going to carry the day completely. You have to remember that it's something that you're supposed to use to enhance the skills that you already have. And that's what we're seeing now. 
Russ criticized graduates for relying way too much on that piece of paper or that degree rather than getting some of the experiences that they need and that these companies really want. Let's use this to apply the law of supply and demand in our favor here, where supply is low and demand is high. That's where the money goes. You can get a degree or you can get a certification and a lot of these trades for a tenth or a fifth of what you're paying for college, he continued, concluding, not only that, but you're doing it in half the time and you're earning money while you're learning versus paying to learn and then hoping you get a job that matches up with the debt. Well, I think that that uh, encapsulates, you know, a really healthy shift, actually. Uh, it's it's tragic. It's unfortunate that, you know, the vast majority of higher education institutions are just indoctrination mills for a bunch of kids that don't have any real skills and are now poisoned with this toxic worldview that, you know, it's all oppressor versus oppressed and capitalism is evil. And it's like, okay, well, if you run a fucking business, do you want to hire someone that feels that way? No, no, the fuck you don't. <laughs> so, uh, this is a very natural reaction. I'm stunned. It's taken this long. Uh, but I think that what we've seen with the Bud Light, you know, collapse and all these other target and all these other institutions that have been boycotted, all of these startups that have blossomed like, uh, Public Square and a handful of others, uh, I think that the tide is is turning. The ESG, uh, I don't know if you guys heard, but over the past week, there has been many of the ESG institutions or the, the money managers functioning under ESG frameworks have been trying to seek uh, liability protections for losses based off of their investing into these ESG companies. Uh, and, you know, sorry, I can't help but smile. Uh, this is exactly what I expected. I expected the, them to underperform the broader market, and now they want to be shielded uh, largely because I think they are correct in saying that they were doing the bidding of the government, but it doesn't change the fact that they violated their fiduciary duty uh, to their investors. So I hope that they pay a tremendous price, and I hope that they receive no liability protection because you only had one duty, and that was to your investor. And if you violated that, then you don't deserve to be protected. You deserve to pay a, a huge price. So uh, I think that this trend is really, really healthy in that the vast majority of young people who have you know, been sold this lie that you have to go to uh, you know, a four-year university to, to make a good living or to be successful, it's just not true anymore. And I don't think it's been true for quite some time. And I'm glad to hear that employers are now realizing it and they're actually you know, favoring to a large extent, uh, you know, people that don't have four-year degrees that don't have this indoctrination process. I think it also shows a level of, uh, you know, entrepreneurial spirit and ingenuity and intelligence. If you're a young person, 20 years old that opted not to go to college, you know, my buddy Reed Coverdale, he went out and drove all over the country, uh, doing long haul trucking instead of going to college. And he's made a great living doing it. And I think that that or, you know, electricians or plumbers, like these are really high paying jobs that you don't have to have a degree for. You can just go work as an apprentice for a year or two and be a, a pretty high quality, uh, you know, participant in that industry and make a great living for yourself. And if you make a great living and you can squirrel some of that money away, maybe you start your own company, you start to hire people, you can expand upon that. Like you don't have, just because you start out blue collar doesn't mean that you can't end white collar. Uh, and you can't end as a, you know, entrepreneur, multimillionaire, like some of the most wealthy people on earth did it that way. Uh, so I think that this is, this is good. 
and and I hope that any young people that are listening right now, uh, you know, if you if you have an entrepreneurial spirit and you understand that the collegiate process is just one of indoctrination into a worldview that you don't want anything to do with, don't put yourself through that. The four year degree is not going to have a, particularly the cost that it takes to get it. It's just a total fucking waste. Um, and most of the time, I, I remember my college experience. It was just me trying to, you know, maintain my values in the face of a bunch of fucking people that don't share them. Um, you know, I learned some things, but it was like minimal compared to the, the time commitment that it required of me. And I did this when college was still relatively cheap because I did it in state in California. Uh, but man, today, like there's no way I would have gone to college paying 20,000 a semester or something or a year rather, like not a chance. So if you have the option or if you have kids at home that are in high school that are you know considering college, if you've already formulated these people to be high achieving, you know, go getters, don't put them through that. Certainly don't make them feel like it's incumbent upon them to do so. If they have, uh, you know, a drive and a vision for what they want for their life already, like I would encourage you to encourage them in that path as opposed to the collegiate one. All right. I got to show you guys this ad. I don't do funny shit very often, but this is pretty funny. You could feel the energy, the DJs, the parties, laughing, dancing. Then I turned around and saw Dave. Only it wasn't the Dave I remembered. He told me his name was Darla now. I tried to make an excuse to get away. Then she grabbed my hand. The next thing I know, we're running to see this DJ. Darla knew somebody and suddenly we're backstage drinking absolute sea breezes. We went to this party and we watched the parade. We took a million pictures in this photo booth. We walked and she told me she always felt this way. I just listened and somehow I understood. Darla knew everybody. She was amazing. Later, the two of us took a walk and we watched the sun come up. She talked about her journey. She was my friend, the same person, the same heart. She hadn't changed. I had. Thanks for bringing me back, Darla. <laughs> that was my absolute. I can't even fucking believe that's a real commercial. It's so bizarre. Um, but I mean, this is kind of like the last vestiges of the ESG advertising era, as far as I'm concerned. I think a lot of this stuff will fucking go away as soon as the ESG funding dries up and it's drying up rapidly. So, uh, man, I just love, I love the fact that he says, I tried to make an excuse to get away because Dave was now Darla. <laughs> He's like, my instinct was to run. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, but then I realized that it was just me that had changed, not Darla, Dave, Dave Darla. Look, I love trans people. I ain't got no beef. I'm just saying like, it's just, it's so absurd how this is just constantly shoved down your throat. Like, I just want to fucking buy some vodka, man. Do I have to be, do I have to be mentally, you know, challenged? <laughs> do I have to be challenged mentally as to my worldview on trans rights to decide whether or not I want to fucking drink some absolute? Or maybe, maybe should I just... The, the actual poison that you're trying to sell me is not acceptance of trans people, but rather the poison that you want me to ingest so that I can go to some rave as a 40-year-old. I mean, come on. It's so crazy. Uh, good news. I have a very special guest lined up for this Tuesday on Liberty Lockdown. Do, you're not going to want to miss this one. For those that aren't familiar, um, well, let me play you this clip and then I'll, I'll explain. But this is a, for those that haven't, heard anything about this there was mh370 uh was the malaysia flight that disappeared about a decade ago this is some congressional representatives talking about ufo hearings uh i'll, I'll explain in a sec 
we were denied access to the SCIF. And so to my knowledge, what's going to happen now is not only do we have the support of the chairman, but um, they're going to get a nice letter from Congress. And as you heard, Representative Ogle said, if we're denied, we're going to use the Holman rule. We'll defund the position. And I was told by leadership that it was blocked by the intelligence community, not the intelligence committee but the intelligence community. And that is a very chilling effect. If you, if you someone can reach through the veil of government and pierce it to the point of, we do not have access to something, you gotta start asking yourself who the hell's in control. And, and I think it'd be wise for you all to start looking at some financial disclosures of some of those co corporations, some of the people who do the stonewalling in this town. And that's what we're gonna start doing. We're gonna start talking to people. We're gonna start naming names. I want you to think about this. Think about this, that something with the capabilities of traveling light years, not showing uh, a heat signature, and the energy capabilities of that, that would put the Pentagon out of business. We wouldn't be fighting these worthless wars overseas over oil, and American boys and girls wouldn't be dying. It would put the war pigs out of business, and they'd have to go somewhere else, and I'm all for that. I'm all for that. I don't know who that dude is, but I like him a lot. <laughs> I got I to gotta figure out what his name is, but... So this kind of ties into my earlier rant about how our elected officials are actually not in control of any of this. He even said that they were stonewalled by the intelligence agencies. The intelligence agencies, to me, are just the deep state. They're just the bureaucracy that actually runs things no matter who's elected. They just continue to fucking grow their power. And I think this is yet another example is congressional hearings are being held about UFOs and they can't get answers. And now they're threatening to defund. The reality is, is that, you know, Paulina Luna and this other gentleman, they're, they're going to be outvoted by the people that are, you know, not on our side. So uh, what, I'm, what I'm totally thrilled about is that there has been this investigation by this gentleman named Ashton, who has been highlighting this footage that came out. There's both drone footage as well as satellite footage uh, of MH370, allegedly, let me say allegedly to all this, because I, I can't prove it, but that's what I hope to talk to him about, is how real it is. If you haven't seen it yet, you should look into it before I have him on. It's crazy. Uh, it looks as if MH370 was teleported or put into another dimension or something. Uh, there's these three orbs that fly around it at a very high rate of speed, uh, like perfectly in unison with one another. And then they ultimately turn into a triangle at the last second and they condense ever so slightly creates this black flash. Some people are saying that it's uh, it's CGI. I have no clue. Um, he, this, this guy has, has done a deep dive on it over the past month and he is now going viral with it. So I'm, I'm very thrilled to have uh, an hour of his time to, to ask all the questions I have about it. And I think you guys will find it very interesting. If you haven't looked into it, I'll show you the footage. We'll go through it. Uh, we'll explain why he believes it's real and what he thinks it portrays. Uh, I'm fairly I'm fairly convinced that it's real, but I don't know for sure. Uh, and my my thought process on it is that if it is real, then the U.S. government has technologies that we can't even begin to comprehend, uh, which would probably not be the best news for us. Uh, but it would be it's worth knowing. If that's the case, if they have the ability to fucking portal things out of existence or portal them to safety, uh, that's a very interesting technology and and one that we ought to know about. So stay tuned for that. I think you guys are going to enjoy that interview a lot. It is on Tuesday uh, evening. And besides that, I have three great shows coming up with Luke Rutkowski over on All One Word We Are Change on Rumble. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're going to be doing that. 
And then last but not least, I will be in Connecticut this weekend with Rechtenwald and Josh Smith and Josie and Maj and a bunch of great speakers. Going to be a presidential debate. I'll be speaking there as well. Uh, it's in Connecticut this weekend. If you're around, make sure you come out. Uh, love to meet you guys and hang out and chat. Uh, we've already sold quite a few tickets, but I think that there's still some available. So I will link down below so that you guys can uh, can pick them up. If you're in or around Connecticut, we'd love to see you. I'll catch you guys in a couple days. Oh, and, and just let me say, while I'm off YouTube, it's going to really hurt my listenership, which sucks because I would usually get a couple thousand uh, viewers over there. If you want to help me out, obviously, libertylockdown.locals.com to support my work or share this show with your friends. Tell them, subscribe. If they listen to podcasts, just tell them, subscribe, listen to Liberty Lockdown and, uh, and help me grow the show. That's probably the best way to do it. Leave a comment, hit the subscription button, and uh, otherwise, just keep being you. Talk soon. Peace. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?